This is the Osnova Show, and I am your host, Dana Pavlichko. This is our war special where we discuss in detail what is happening in Ukraine. Um, today we are talking with Volodya Shiko, friend and one uh, number one Ukrainian cultural diplomat, head of the Ukrainian Institute. Volodya, hi. This is day 47 of the full-scale Russian invasion of Ukraine. Can you please set the stage for our listeners and tell us what is happening in Ukraine right now? Hello, Dana. It's a pleasure to uh, to talk to you. Um, my name is Volodymyr. As, as, as Dana said, I'm director of the Ukrainian Institute, which is uh, Ukraine's a state organization for cultural relations and cultural diplomacy. So we basically work to make Ukrainian voice better heard internationally uh, and to make sure that the world knows and understands Ukraine better through culture, through education, through various uh, cultural uh, interventions and activities. And of course, my perspective on what's happening in Ukraine today is largely shaped by my profession and by my social circles and also my professional networks in Ukraine and internationally. Uh, so um, uh, from, from, from my perspective, right, um, this, um, this, this terrible war is, is a disaster and a huge opportunity at the same time. And I say this with utmost respect for everyone affected by the war in Ukraine, for all the victims and for all the people who had to flee their homes or be displaced um, internally and internationally. And the amount of suffering that the Ukrainian society has been going through is, is incredible and immense. And probably hardly, hardly I don't know, a quarter of it makes, makes it to international news headlines. So um, uh, from my perspective, I think, you know, the world sees just a little fraction of what's going on in, in Ukraine. Of course, the terrible events and the, the, the terrible pictures that have uh, been, you know, circulated around the world, that is the reality of the war. And that is reality of everyone who lives uh, in Ukraine today or had to flee Ukraine. Uh, but there is much more to it that is remains in the country, that remains outside the mainstream media. And those are personal stories of people who um, had to change their profession, who are volunteering, who, uh, you know, fight their own individual fronts, professional fronts or otherwise to, to, uh, to near the victory. But at the same time, um, this, this war is a huge opportunity for Ukraine to be better understood and known internationally. And this is my, this is basically what I, what I um, do, what I, what I do today and my team do. Uh, because we had have a kind of an, an internal joke that uh, the world has learned more about Ukraine in the past month or so than it did in the past hundred years um, of Ukrainian independence and prior to that. Uh, Volodya, uh, from what I understand, uh, a big part of what the Ukrainian Institute is doing is. Um, pushing for a boycott of Russian culture. Uh, is, is that correct? And can you uh, talk a little bit about this? Sure. We call it a call to suspend cultural cooperation with Russia as a, as a temporary measure to, um, to basically strip Russia of this very important instrument of cultural propaganda 
and um, and and attempts to successful attempts, one had to say, to influence public opinion uh, of other societies and countries, and justify or steer public attention away from the war crimes and from the misdoings and from the um, the the all the all the faults of of Russian uh, foreign and military policies. We believe that culture is as important an instrument to 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 win or to lose this war as is you know the military warfare and this is why we're calling the world institutions and people to stop working with russia to stop performing and promoting russian culture and artworks internationally to stop taking money from russian uh, state uh, institutions or oligarch or funds run and and sponsored by Russian oligarchs. Because this is a very important front. And if the world stands with Ukraine and supports Ukrainian cause by donating to the Ukrainian army, by donating to the volunteers, by uh, by streaming um, humanitarian aid to Ukraine, I think the world should also stand united with Ukraine to help protect Ukraine's cultural voice and temporarily cancel Russian cultural voice, which has been misused, instrumentalized for for not not for a greater not for a greater good. I have noticed that uh, an understanding of this is is in, in you know in the West is not very easy. It's not simple. And that many, you know, sometimes very well-meaning people don't understand why you know, quote unquote, punish, you know, the Russian uh, cellist, you know, playing somewhere in Milan. Uh, what do you tell these people? I mean, how how do you explain, you know, your position to these people? Well, the fir- first of all, uh, we, um, we are confident that today's war and today's invasion and the war that actually started in 2014, uh, Russia's war against Ukraine, is um, the whole of Russian society shall assume shared responsibility for for this war. Because the Russian society, the Russian civil society, we believe, has not been vocal enough, has not been strong enough to to counter and to fight and to to Putinism for the past 22 years, to, uh, to do everything they could internationally and domestically to avoid situation that we found ourselves in today. This is our first argument. The second argument is that you cannot separate the great Russian culture from politics and from what is happening in Ukraine today. Culture is not, you know, a couple of dozen films or paintings or books that everyone in the world knows and adores. Culture is how a society lives. It's many ways a society manifests itself in its values, in its behavior, in uh, in its limits, in its uh, attitudes towards um, other societies, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. And we have seen Russian culture today in action in Bucha, in uh, Irpin, in Mariupol, in all the destroyed cities, in all rapes, lootings, mass murders, war crimes. And I think Russia has to assume responsibility for all of that and not shield itself by its great Russian culture internationally, which is a very convenient instrument 
to uh, uh, to kind of steer against steer away public attention from what's going on in Ukraine. Uh, do you think that uh, you know the public opinion shifted, you know, once and for all after the Bucha massacre, especially at a you know higher level? I think it definitely shook the foundations of how people, many people perceive Russia and, and Ukraine. And we see it in political decisions that are being made across Europe and around the world, that after Bucha massacres, you know, a lot of people have woken up uh, to a new reality and, and agreed that, that uh, you know, uh, even stricter sanctions and measures and actions against Russia have to be taken by the world community. Um, uh, to 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 uh, deter it, right? Uh, to deter the Russian invasion, um, but also, I think that in many regions of the world, this is still a very distant event, and even such a massacre as as took place in Bucha uh, still didn't, in a way, impress many people. This is a terrible word to use, but 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 I will use it anyway. So. Um, I think I think a lot of people are just very you know tolerant to to news like this, and the farther away you know people are from Ukraine and Russia, the 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 less the less sensitive they are to the to this terrible tragedy. What is the response of uh, you know the international cultural community to to what's happening and what and to what you are doing with the Ukrainian Institute? Well, at the Ukrainian Institute, we have seen incredible solidarity with with Ukraine from from an overwhelming majority of organizations and people, particularly in Europe and and North America. Uh, I personally have received a lot of words of support and uh, proposals to help Ukraine and Ukrainian cultural uh, workers in uh, one way or another from Latin America, from countries in the Middle East. But those are largely by personal uh, contacts and networks. Um, a lot of institutions have stood with Ukraine in launching a special support programs to Ukrainian artists, such as residencies or grants or research um, funding, something to sustain them, because most of them have lost their regular income today. Most of them have found themselves in very precarious and difficult uh, personal and professional circumstances. Um, men, for example, are not allowed to leave Ukraine during martial law. So, uh, you know, Links and networks have been have been broken essentially between many uh, many cultural workers who used to work a lot with their European uh, or American counterparts and used to travel a lot and, and their income also depended on on the ability to travel internationally. Um, having said that, a lot of uh, female cultural workers have indeed left Ukraine to uh, look for safety or uh, to uh, to engage in international cultural uh, projects. So uh, for them, these these opportunities are very welcome because they enable them to to continue working and to continue, you know, doing their daily jobs. Are international partners, you know, your personal contacts, are they eager to stop cooperating with Russia? And some of them are, but I have to say that in most cases we have to engage in a, in a much longer conversations with them. Uh, and each 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 conversation is individual, uh, because I understand how it may sound, right? A blanket refusal to work with Russia or to cancel everything Russia stands for is not a sensible way to to do this. So in each situation, we actually explain that it's not so much about you know stopping cooperating with Russia. It's also about 
giving more space to Ukraine. Because Ukraine, uh, in many mental in mental maps of so many people around the world, has been marginal compared to Russia. Our voice has never been as strong as Russian. And that is, you know, that can be explained by, by a, a lengthy history of, of Russian-Ukrainian relationship and of colonialism that Russia has exercised um, on Ukraine for, for, for a few centuries. So now we are asking to correct this injustice, to change these hierarchies of perceptions, to, to look at Ukraine and the rest of Eastern Europe, by the way, um, as at something that is worth discovering, that is that holds great potential, that holds great cultural heritage, that, that holds great contemporary uh, cultural practices in film, in literature, in uh, in publishing, in uh, music, theater, whichever art form you take, there is a great deal of great culture to discover. And we're asking international partners to do just that. Yes, please suspend your cooperation with Russia because by you know by working with Russia, you play uh, the Russian game and you strengthen Russia's international position in the wake of, of the war against Ukraine. But at the same time, you will benefit your, your own audiences, your own readers, your own listeners, your own viewers by giving them some content from Ukraine, which you haven't heard of before. Uh, what's next for Ukraine? What do you think Ukraine has to do at a cultural diplomatic level to promote itself right now? What is really important? I think it's really important to respond to all the to, to all the interest that suddenly has emerged internationally, uh, right? And there is a massive uh, passion to to know more about Ukraine. There is a massive demand from people uh, all over the world in different regions to actually make sense of what's going on. What is the what is the reason for this war? How how come there is a, the biggest uh, conflict in Europe since World War II happening in front of our eyes? What is the origin of that conflict? What is Ukraine? How how Ukrainian values actually manifested themselves in this incredible bravery and resilience that Ukraine has uh, demonstrated worldwide and won so many hearts and minds with 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 this? So. I think it's crucial for Ukrainian cultural diplomacy. And by cultural diplomacy, I mean not only the work the Ukrainian Institute is doing, although this is very much what we're doing, but also uh, the activities of so many other uh, non-governmental organizations, um, personal initiatives, uh, grassroots uh, projects, you know, those horizontal cooperation and culture that is happening um, all over the place uh, to, to satisfy that demand. Because let's be honest, this... You know, the world's attention and world's interest for Ukraine will not last too long. I mean, inevitably, other terrible things will happen around the world that will, you know, divert public attention again away from Ukraine. So we have to use this window for opportunity to, to, to offer as much as we can to educate in a way, right, <laughs> others as much as we can about ourselves. To, 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 to build those links that will last longer than a couple of months. Uh, to, to uh, as, as I, you know, as again, my colleagues and I joke, you have to kind of create this little compartment in people's minds with the name Ukraine written on it that, that will shape people's perceptions of our country 
for years and decades to come. Uh, you know, the rush, the, the war is, you know, it's a, it's a terrible tragedy, but it seems that, you know, for us, it's a chance to rebuild and maybe start anew and maybe even fix, you know, some of the things that we weren't doing right. And uh, I think it's a chance for us to to finally, you know, be a place on the cultural map and, and to be exciting, you know, long term for the world. Uh, do you think, you know, we have a chance, to, you know, to, to, to be better as a as a community after this after this war? To be better at telling our story to the world. Yes, yes, to be better at telling our story to the world. I think we don't have any other choice. We we must be better at telling our story to the world. Because you are very right that it's a it's a it's a twofold question. Yes, why why the world has suddenly discovered Ukraine on the 24th of February? Is it our fault that we haven't been doing our job properly? Or is it the kind of exist existing structures of perception? that have been uh, present in the world that left very little space for Ukraine in, in people's minds and, and, um, and everyday routine. I think it's both. Uh, the good news is that in the aftermath of the Revolution of Dignity of Euromaidan, uh, several new institutions have been were established in Ukraine exactly to do this, to, to develop um, uh, transparent funding mechanisms for culture through Ukrainian Cultural Foundation, promote Ukraine internationally through the Ukrainian Institute, which I'm leading, and other, uh, you know, at, at this ecosystem of institutions is a good start. We have been doing our homework for at least a, a few years now. But uh, in, in my daily job, for example, before the war, it sometimes took us months to convince our international partners in Europe or Turkey or the US or Canada to work with us. Because Ukraine has never been a priority. Ukraine has never been a hot topic. And you know, people would rather spend their time and budgets on, on, on a bigger country or a country that is better known, right? Now it takes days sometimes. Now, all of a sudden, everyone wants to work with Ukraine, wants to do something about Ukraine. And as like I said, this is this is good. I'm, I'm, I'm just very sorry that we had to pay such a terrible price uh, to, to achieve this. But it's really twofold. Ukraine has, be, has to be better at, at making it, its story heard internationally. But the world should also change the way it looks at Ukraine. It should look, you know, away from Russia for, for, uh, for what it's worth and look at other nations, at other cultures that have been very underrepresented and very undervalued traditionally and discover them and want to discover them. And that's, I think, that's a two-way street that we're talking about here. Mm -hmm. Volodya, uh, can you tell uh, tell our, our listeners how is your life like right now? How is work like? Uh, you know, how, how do you work? How do you manage everything? <laughs> well, the past 40-something days have been the shortest days of my life, but also the longest days of my life. Um, the Ukrainian Institute team, once we were based in, in Kyiv before, before the war, before the invasion, 
now we are spread against, uh, uh, sorry, across probably 20 cities in several countries, including Ukraine, of course. So all of my colleagues have reached out to find a place where they can feel safe and their children and their closed ones. It took us some time, you know, everyone to settle down, to uh, to get rid of that initial stress of the invasion, because for many people it has been very, very stressful, and for their uh, children um, particularly. But now we work remotely. Everyone is working literally full-time. Uh, our workload, I think, increased two or threefold. So we're doing much, much more um, non-stop literally non-stop work without weekends, uh, responding to inquiries, brainstorming, developing new projects, looking for funding opportunities and uh, working with international media, doing interviews, press comments. So the breadth of work is now uh, more than ever, right? Um, in a way, COVID uh, pandemic helped us two years ago to realign how we work uh, and, and transition to this remote uh, working culture. So all of our processes, all of our documentation, the way we communicate with each other, which with each other, you know, has been mostly off online for the past two years. So it really uh, kind of helps us to sustain our operation uh, in the, even under conditions of war. Uh, you were based, I mean, you are based in Kiev, you know, essentially. Uh, do you think you're going to go back to Kiev uh, sometime soon? Uh, what is your, you know, prognosis for for your organization? Um, well, I, I would very, I would be carefully optimistic about this. Um, as, as, as you know, uh, the Russian army has retreated from uh, from all northern regions of Ukraine, including the Kiev region. It's still unsafe to go to many of those places, but um, it is also unsafe to go to Kiev, uh, to return to Kiev, I think, full time. And I would say that my team would take some more time to see how the situation develops, because the threat of, uh, of a second invasion, of a second attempt to capture Kiev and uh, the, the major cities in, in the north of Ukraine remains. It has been uh, voiced by the Ukrainian um, government. So we are advised against returning to Kiev for the time being, but we're continuing to monitor the situation. And I think it will, you know, people will take their personal decisions, uh, whether they uh, are feeling safe to return or whether they would like to stay in, in, in safety for some longer period of time. But what I can say is that everyone wants to come back. No one wants to stay uh, anywhere but their hometowns and um, and 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 the, the city that they call home. Definitely, I can't. I can't wait to go back. You know, I I I hope to to go back as as you know as as soon as you know we we, we will win and. It's, you know, it's going to be safe and possible. Many people ask, and, you know, I get these questions all the time. What can, you know, we do to help Ukraine? Like, what can the world do to support Ukraine? There are so many ways to support Ukraine. And I would, my, my main kind of request would be, please do not forget about Ukraine. I, I appreciate that. We all live our own lives. There is a daily routine. We have our jobs. We have our families. We have our leisure. 
And, you know, Ukraine is a disruption to so many lives all around the world. I would ask people not to forget about us, not to forget about supporting Ukraine, because thousands of people are, di- are still dying in this war. The military and even more so the civilians, particularly in the east of Ukraine, and they, they need help. They need supplies, they need humanitarian aid, they need protective gear, they need uh, to be able to uh, live somewhere as temporary displaced people. And of course, uh, you know, we encourage everyone to to donate for those uh, cause for that for that cause to uh, Ukrainian and international um, organizations who provide supplies to um, the civilians and to the military and to the medical um, purposes. We encourage people to organize peaceful rallies in their in their cities in response to what's going on in Ukraine to petition their uh, members of parliament to petition their um, local city councils to be more vocal about the situation to you know to to advocate those political decisions that will help help Ukraine that will help the world uh, you know transfer more uh, weapons and armaments to Ukraine because this war can only be won by Ukraine, I think, through the military means, combined with diplomatic efforts, of course. But this war cannot be won with words only. So Ukraine needs ammunition, and that's something that everyone around the world should advocate and should petition their governments to to push for this, right? And of course, you know, I would very much um, encourage uh, you to to support Ukrainians in your home countries, in your cities, uh, just by kind words, by offering them some assistance, by helping them settle down until they can come back home. Because many of them have left with their children and are now, for example, looking for the ways to uh, to to put their children to school or to, to kindergarten or to arrange a very basic. Uh, daily routine in a, in a foreign country, and some of them don't know the language, for example, of the country. So they need that 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 gentle help to uh, to be able to to live a, a, a basically comfortable life um, wherever they are. So it's a very <laughs> there is a, so many ways to 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 help Ukraine today, and uh, you can choose whichever you feel most comfortable with. Um, I, I'd like to go back a few steps to uh, what you mentioned that, uh, you know, definitely Ukraine needs to win this war on the military front. Uh, but, you know, I, I also think that we have to be vigilant on the information front because Russia, you know, never sleeps and they do wage information warfare. And now I think that uh, Ukraine has finally won the information war. But, you know, should we, you know, rest on our laurels or or should we be careful? And should the world watch for the information that is spread by Kremlin? Well, absolutely. You're so right that um, that the information front is is as important as the military front for us today. Um, I would say Ukraine achieved its... uh, tactical victory in terms of how the world responded to the Russian invasion and universally supported Ukraine in this, in the, sided with Ukraine in this, in this uh, case. But let's not forget uh, that Russian propagandist machine 
has been one of the most sophisticated in the world. It's alive and well. It's alive and well, exactly. It's alive and well, and it's it has recover. I think it's it's recovering from the initial shock of uh, of the you know post invasion weeks, and it's back to action. It's back with some even more sophisticated narratives and propaganda tools and disinformation attacks uh, that uh, can and will disrupt this unity the world um, has um, has experienced today for Ukraine. So let's be vigilant. Let's remain vigilant. Let's fact check. Let's uh, use and share trusted news resources. Let's not go rampant on social media. Let's just be tactful and respectful for 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 the victims for you know for the sensitive content that appears on the internet about this but let's not give in to all the attempts of russia to break that unity to spread false and toxic narratives to twist the truth and and you know the the very recent meetings of the un security council and uh, the general assembly and and other executive bodies of international organizations have proved how Russia is just blatantly lies and denies the obvious and well-documented facts about the war crimes in Bucha, for example, or Irpin. So we, by no means, we can... No, no, <laughs> just, yeah, it's, it's just blatant, blatant, blatant lies. It's crazy. But it's it's fascinating how how many people are inclined or prone to believe that particular people who are less informed just less informed about what's going on and 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 sometimes it's it takes it takes yeah a tiny bit of disinformation injected um, uh, in, into someone to to completely twist their their understanding of the situation and i think it's very dangerous uh, uh, um, you know what drives me crazy sometimes as well when, uh, but I guess it's, you know, worth worth discussing is when yet again in, in the international community, you hear that this is Putin's war. Is this indeed Putin's war? I don't think so, because um, the, the, the very recent polls including those conducted by independent um, uh, research centers who are independent from uh, from the Russian government, show that between 71 and 85% of Russian population today supports Putin and endorses its uh, actions in Ukraine. So to me, such a landslide majority of people, you know, uh, are, are uh, co-creators of this, of this, of this crime. It, you know, Putin is not inseparable from 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 its society. It's the society that voted for Putin multiple times. It's the society that supports Putin with an overwhelming majority, and um, it's the society where hatred for Ukraine and the wish to destroy Ukrainian identity, history, and statehood have been their national idea for 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 decades. So I don't think it's Putin's war. And I disagree when people start calling uh, Russians uh, Russists or fascists or giving them, you know, familiar labels that they know from, from history of the 20th century. 
let's not create any artificial definitions. It's the Russians who attacked Ukraine and they should be called who they are. Uh, definitely. Um, were you surprised? I mean, I was very, I mean, I, I was very impressed, I'd say, by how Ukraine managed to act in the last 47 days. Were you surprised at how well Ukraine is doing in this full-scale invasion? I don't think I was surprised because we had, um, sadly, we had a rehearsal of this uh, situation eight years ago <clears throat> during the Euromaidan uh, Revolution of Dignity when the social mobilization and was incredible. So how people responded to, 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 to that situation was literally the same as they do today, but with a huge upgrade. I think we are we matured as a society over these past years. We developed our civil society. We developed our um, solidarity. We developed, you know, we aged, right? So today we're capable of doing so much more. And I think um, this is what this war um, demonstrated, how Ukrainians can quickly, very quickly, in a matter of hours, literally, mobilize and respond to the needs of their fellows and the needs of those who um, uh, who are in trouble um, or who have suffered from this war. So to me, I don't think it's a surprise. It's still, um, you know, it's still hard to uh, to um, to to observe this because you're very. I mean, I'm very proud of my people. I'm very proud of everyone, everyone who I know who, who, and how people respond to this. But it's not a surprise. I think it's we 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 just we yeah we worked hard for to to achieve this. You know, it seems it's 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 you know it's in in our DNA, and this is what some people might not understand, not knowing you, you know Ukrainian history, that you know we've been going through this for centuries. You know, this is this is not even a war that has started in 2014. Exactly, exactly. I mean, the, the war itself, the, the, the active phase of, of, of the war may have started, as, the, as you said, in 2014. But this is an existential war that has been going on for, uh, for at least several centuries between the imperialist Russia, the Russian Empire, and then by the Soviet Union, and then by the contemporary Russian state. But hardly anyone actually makes that, uh, you know, generalization. And hardly anyone can see, not, not probably anyone, but few people can actually see the succession between all the three types of Russian states or Russian-centric states. Because it's, it's the same wish, as I said, to undermine Ukrainian sovereignty, to subjugate it, to consume it, to homogenize with the rest of, 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 of the units that constitute uh, contemporary Russian Federation, to deprive people of their identity, to, uh, to limit the use of the Ukrainian language, to, uh, uh, to appropriate Ukrainian culture, because a lot of artists, for example, or writers or musicians who are known internationally as Russian are in fact Ukrainian or have Ukrainian origin or have also a Ukrainian identity to them. So all that has been going on for, for, for literally centuries. 
So uh, this war is no surprise if you look at, at it for, from that perspective. It's a logical uh, conclusion. It's a logical next step for Russia to just destroy Ukrainian statehood. Um, and it should be looked at, uh, at it um, in, in such a way. Absolutely. Uh, Volodya, final question. Will we win? Yes, absolutely. Sure. We have no other way. It's either we win or we cease to exist as a society, as a country. And I don't think we can allow that. Mm, I agree with you wholeheartedly. <laughs> Volodya, thank you for this chat. Thank you, Donna. It was a pleasure to talk to you. And, you know, I hope we'll return home soon and, and tell the story victory. We'll make a new episode after we win. Absolutely. I'm up for it. Totally. Yeah. Thanks. <laughs>